Our scripture reading for today comes from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 14 through 21. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. Fellow Jews and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it's only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show portents in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood, fire, and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, send your spirit upon us, that as your scripture is read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what it is you have to say to us this day. Amen. Growing up, our house, the Wood House, that's my maiden name, Wood, our house was the 4th of July gathering place. While our extended family mostly lived in Abilene, that's a town in West Texas that you may have heard of, we lived outside of the city limits of Ty, an even smaller West Texas town that you probably have not heard of. Now, the gathering always took place at our house because we were not governed by the unfair rules of city living. Meaning every July 4th, we could shoot fireworks off in our own front yard. Now, each year, my dad would take the pilgrimage to some off-the-Texas highway fireworks stand and buy the biggest and baddest fireworks that he could find. And at our house, after a dinner of hot dogs and baked beans in the house, we'd go outside and set up. Now my dad, his brother, his brother-in-law, and my granddaddy would walk across the road to my grandparents' farm. We lived just right across the road out in the country. An open field, one of my granddaddy's open fields, just sat right across from our house. The rest of us would unfold chairs and try to find a place in the front yard where there was an unobstructed view of the goings-on across the road. Now the fireworks would be set up in the middle of the dirt road, there's no paving where we lived, and the men would take turns lighting the explosives with the punk. Do you know what that is? It's like a smoldering stick that just lights fireworks, that's what it does. They would try to set up each firework so that any debris would fall harmlessly into the open field. However, this being West Texas, 
and often drought conditions, which is hard to even think about today because we're so like saturated with water, right? But drought conditions often exist in West Texas. So there were times that falling shrapnel would light a fire in that field. That's when the guys really sprang into action with buckets pre-filled with water. Someone would run to that little place and douse that little fire before it became big fire. This was important, dramatic, heroic work. Now, my sister was always fascinated. I don't know if you remember me talking about my sister. She's about two and a half years older than me. She was always fascinated by the fireworks, yes, ooh and ah, but more so she was fascinated by the ground-based team that yelled each at each other things like, it's lit, get back, or take the bucket, Kenneth, there's a spark. It wasn't too many years before she was right out there with them, watching for sparks, running with the bucket, holding the puck for daddy sometimes, and eventually even lighting the fireworks herself. I, on the other hand, thought that looked way too scary. Being that close to the fire to the boom, to the broken and falling pieces of burned firework? Nope, no thank you. I was just fine in my folded out chair. But my sister was brave, fearless, and even as I didn't understand her, I was covetous of her courage, envious, of her daring, and maybe even a tad resentful that I could not quite find that kind of boldness in me. Which makes me wonder about those in the crowd gathered around that first Pentecost. We know the story, we heard it last week, of those that were gathered in the upper room, violently being attacked by wind and fire, and then how many of them began to speak in different languages, which Chris reminded of this morning. Now, there were many in the surrounding area that heard their native language, and were amazed. But there were others sitting back in the crowd, arms folded, scoffing, snorting, sneering. They're just filled with new wine. Then Peter, good old earnest Peter, stands up with the other 11 disciples behind him, and starts to speak. Now, like many good orators, he starts the sermon with a really lame joke. They're not drunk. It's only 9 in the morning. (laughs) And, you know, 
I know this feeling of saying a joke and then getting no response. Bless him, even without the encouragement of laughter. Peter pushes on by reciting the words of the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Peter reminds the crowds of the works of Jesus on behalf of God. And even though Jesus died, Jesus was resurrected. And even though Jesus was taken to heaven, they have not been left alone. The Holy Spirit was promised to them, and the Holy Spirit has arrived. And the Spirit is poured out on each of them. They simply need to receive. But the people sitting back with their arms crossed, snorting and scoffing and sneering, knew what seven-year-old Sandy knew, that there is inherent risk in this. There is risk in receiving God's spirit because like firework debris falling from the sky, the spirit doesn't always follow the expected trajectory. The spirit might make you speak in different languages and then you have to talk to people you didn't want to. Or the spirit might make you look silly to someone else and that is embarrassing. Or the spirit might actually take you to a place that is dangerous. And you might need to be bold and courageous. Nope. No thank you. This last Wednesday, I drove up to Laurel, Montana. Does anybody know what's up in Laurel? Guess who I got to go visit? I went and spent a couple of days with our good friends, Reverend Jamie Lee, Jordan, and June Bug. Most of you know that Reverend Jamie Lee was our associate pastor previous to Reverend Lauren, who was asked to move to Montana to serve as the pastor at Laurel United Methodist Church part-time and to be a part-time congregational resource minister for Eastern Montana. That means she's, she's kind of an assistant to the district superintendent in that district. They are loving it, by the way. And they send all their love and well wishes to all of you. Now, as United Methodist pastors, both Reverend Jamie Lee and I know that when we were ordained, we said yes to going to wherever the bishop wants to send us. And in our conference, this means anywhere in Colorado, Wyoming, Montana, Utah, or two churches in Idaho. And I have to confess, I have a deep fear of what that means. Instead of getting more comfortable with itinerancy, which is what this moving around is called, over the last 17 years of being ordained, I feel even more fearful because I've done it a few times and I know what it means. To be honest, I've been lucky. 
Because the churches that I have been appointed to and served have been blessings. In the mountains, in Wyoming, here in Denver. And yet every time I have moved, it rips a hole right in my heart to leave the people behind. And after almost eight years here, I cannot even think about thinking about what that means. And I'm not moving, by the way, but just that. I can't even think about it. It is so painful and scary to never really know where you're going to be. However, spending a couple of days with Jamie Lee, who I am much older than and have spent many years mentoring up until the time she was moved, I felt mentored myself by her. She is fearless in her leadership. She is bold in her care. Even in a state that is often, often weary of, if not downright unaccepting of, female leadership, Jamie Lee works with the other pastors in her area to provide healing and hope. And she inspires me. I have a challenge for you this week. My challenge for you is this. To realize the times in your life, in this week, that you are resting in the audience, sitting back, snorting, sneering maybe, possibly criticizing others, allowing others to risk, oh, but not you. My challenge for you is to recognize those moments and to consider what it would be like to have courage to get up and participate. Because if Jamie Lee can be brave, then maybe I can too. If the disciples can be bold in speaking their message, even if they have to teach Weak the language a bit, maybe you can too. And if the people of God can be open and willing to risk the movement of the Spirit in new, uncomfortable, and risky places, maybe we can too. I pray these have been the words of the Lord for us this day. Amen. <laughs>